0: Hello and welcome to Enter the Dojo. I'm Dion Stewart.
1: And I'm Joel Tosi. On this week's episode, we are happy to have Mark Raven join us. Mark's an old friend and author of Measures of Success. Mark has also graciously offered to give out uh, a, a, a copy of his book at leanblog.org dojo. And that link will also be in the show notes. All right. So let's get right into the interview.
0: Hey, Mark, uh, we obviously know you a little bit. We've co hosted events with you and partnered with you on a, a couple things. Uh, and you're well known in the lean space, particularly uh, applying lean to, to the healthcare domain. For some of our listeners who might be coming more from the IT side with uh, dojos, uh-huh. uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your, your background, your story for, for them to get up to speed on what you do? Yeah, well,
2: sure thing, and and thanks for having me on, guys. It's it's good talking to you. Um, you know, so you, like you said, I'm known, I guess, for lean healthcare, but I actually started my career back in the manufacturing world. So um, back in the origins of uh, lean production, lean manufacturing. You know, my background is industrial engineering, and um, also have a master's degrees in mechanical engineering and, and an MBA. But, you know, I mean, I started in the auto industry. So I started um, after college at General Motors in 1995. Um, The the game plan was pretty clear that GM was trying to copy and catch up to Toyota. But, you know, as we'll get to talk about here tonight, you know, one of the key things I learned is this is all about leadership. Um, The plant that I worked at in Michigan and built um, engines for Cadillac and Oldsmobile cars and um, it was It was performing really badly, like productivity, quality morale um, on time delivery the plant uh, was a mess and then we got a new plant manager who was one of the original gm people who was sent to Numi, uh, the joint venture plant that gm and Toyota had in California, and that new leader coming in made all the difference so everything i 'd read uh, about deming uh, especially you know I think it was just really reinforced um, by that message that um, most problems um, that, that we face, whether it was back at GM or um, later, you know, as I've gotten into healthcare, problems are caused by the system. And as Dr. Deming said, senior leaders are, guess what, responsible for the system. And that that requires leadership, um, you know, that uh, is, is often lacking in uh, whether you know companies or, or health systems and so that's really been my my passion is to create better workplaces and in healthcare you know quite literally that can mean uh, for, for patients it can mean a difference between life and death so that's you know kind of roundabout way um, you know kind of going from manufacturing a um, couple different types of manufacturing companies a software startup you um, back to another manufacturer, into healthcare, and I'm also sort of involved and have been in a, a software startup. So um, just to, to, to wrap up the point, even though I'm known as a lean healthcare guy, um, I've I've got experience uh, and, and sometimes still work in other industries.
1: That's, that's a really good uh, background, Mark. I, I, I'm not sure if I've ever, ever told you this. Um, when, when I first reached out to you a few years back and we had you swing up to the 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 conference in Chicago, um, I, I, I think I'd seen some of your stuff on Twitter, and I, I was looking at kind of what you know what's this Mark guy about? Because I think I had seen <laughs> some some lean things about you, uh, maybe some tweets or something like that. And I like some of like the stuff you were saying around Deming and around people and around systems was really was really speaking to me. And I remember uh, one of Dion's of mine, uh, one of our close friends that was helping us organize the the conference in Chicago, he was like, you know, who's this Mark guy? You know, like because we'd always we'd always had you know agile uh, kind of people mm, coming up yeah. there. And he's like, "Who's this? Who's this smart guy? I've never heard of him." And I was like, hey, "You should you should read some of the things he's saying." I mean that, then he then he read some of your stuff, and he goes, "This isn't like a fake lean person. This is like one of those real. This is one. This is one of those real lean people." <laughs> I was like, "Wow, mm. and that's kind of what I thought was was interesting too." Was like, uh, especially in our space, man, we get we get a lot of people that's you know will read the lean book, and it's all about uh, whether it's um, you know everything has to be purely standardized and reduce costs and reduce costs and reduce variation and kind of all these things where it's just without understanding what's happening, people will start applying these um, things outside of context. Uh, so with that kind of idea, let me ask you: like, what what does real lean or what does good lean look like to you? Like, how what do you look for when when you say like the, it feels like they're doing it right or do, they're doing well?
2: Um. Well, I mean, I, I guess. Thank you for what that's you know, whatever that means that someone else said I seem like a real lean guy, um, <laughs> lean person. Um, that might mean different things to different people. It might mean different things to me. Um, you know, uh, you know, I sit behind a keyboard um, and, and I've been blogging since 2005, and and I'll tell you, there's times where it's tempting, and I've fallen into the temptation of you know being really judgmental about some lean initiative I I read about or hear about. Um, Sometimes Bob Emiliani, who's a a professor in Connecticut, um, I think stakes claim to the phrase or coining the the, the term fake lean. Um, I, I, for a while I was using, it's a tortured acronym, lame, (laughs) which has two different definitions. Lean as mistakenly explained. Or lean as misguidedly executed. But, you know, I think some of that came from reading about stories where it just makes me shake my head. And, and you know, you, there there was a story in the Wall Street Journal maybe 10 years ago, uh, Kia Sarah in San Diego had somebody, you know, they called the, the Office 5S cop. And, you know, it was this tyranny of, you know, people not being allowed to have Sweaters on the back of their chairs, or you know, and, and that somebody would have to enforce that. I'm like, is this an adult workplace that's actually serving customers, or have we lost track of that? Um, you know, there were stories uh, from the UK. The um, the tax office, basically the British IRS, had people being my word, not theirs, terrorized or traumatized. By you know, again, another kind of office lean initiative where people were being told, I think rather misguidedly, you know, that they weren't allowed to have family photos on their desk because they're no, those are non-value added materials. And <laughs> it's just, oh, come on. So, yeah, I get judgmental about um, things like that, I guess, um, because, you know, I think stories like that and, you know, it's easier to write about things like this um, than it is to go and actually do something, but you know, I, I I try to you know sort of try to point out or pass along tidbits and wisdom I've heard. There's um, somebody at uh, Toyota North America um, in in leadership there, Jamie Benini, who I've met um, a number of times. And and Jamie put it real succinctly once. He said, "If the employees are really upset about what's going on, it's not really TPS, meaning the Toyota Production System." That. You know, I think things get misguided. Um, I, I go into hospitals, and and someone will call me in to sort of like literally diagnose the organizational patient, and they'll say, "Well, we we had this consultant for two years, and the employees aren't engaged uh, with Lean," and and they're they're clearly pointing the finger of blame at the employees, which I think is ridiculous and misguided. And you know, you dig, you don't have to peel much. You know, peel off part of the skin of the onion if we're going to peel back the onion. And employees will say things like, oh, well, these consultants only focused on cost, and Lean was about proposing these big cost savings projects, and we never implemented anything, but we had this big list of potential cost savings." You know, it's a a misunderstanding um, that Lean is only focused on cost and efficiency. Um, you know, the the like you were saying, the context matters. So you know, Lean is at its core, a very customer-focused methodology. It's very employee-focused. When I was in the auto industry, the primary goals were taught as safety, quality, on-time delivery, and cost. And I think as as Dr. Deming taught and Toyota people would teach, cost is an end result of doing everything else well. If we can improve quality and improve flow, that leads to lower cost. But of course, on, on the flip side, there, there are way too many things organizations can do to cut costs that would end up being bad for safety or quality or on time delivery. So I've, you know, if, um, you know, try to, you know, I, I guess the other thing I've struggled with is, you know, can you help people avoid mistakes by learning from others? Or is it inevitable? Is that just part of the learning process that we have to make our own mistakes?
1: That's that's really nice. There's actually a, a few questions that that pop up in my mind uh, along those lines. Uh, the first, well, the first one is uh, the, the last thing you're saying about do we can we copy or do we need to you know kind of make our own mistakes? I think we see that uh, in our industry. I'm sure you see it too, where um, in, in the IT industry, a lot of people have become recently fascinated, uh, I would say, with Netflix. And so for a while, it was whatever Netflix is doing, we should just do mm-hmm. the same thing because obviously, they, obviously they've obviously figured something out. Um, and so just playing that out, it's, it's mm-hmm. interesting because you have to explain to people like, you know, it wasn't just like Netflix. Uh, it's, a, it's a misnomer to think that any company just magically found the solution without ever trying different things, but everybody mm-hmm. only sees the end result. I, I don't know, I don't I don't think any organization can really just emulate somebody else and uh, you know outside well, of context and still be successful. Mm-hmm. but have you have you found mm-hmm. anything to the contrary?
2: Well, I mean, I think there's a difference between emulating and learning from and copying. Um I think a lot of times people <clears throat> try to just copy and it, it's missing context, right? So Toyota people, current day, you know, uh, Toyota people will always describe Toyota production system as an integrated system, that it's not just tools like 5S, but there's a philosophy. Um, You know, there's there's technical methods, um, you know, these tools, but there's also a philosophy, a managerial approach. It's an organizational culture that's really driven by people development, and you know, so there's it's, it would be too easy for someone to copy part of the system or a tool that works well at Toyota, and then throw that into a different uh, culture. You know, like the idea of the Andon cord. Um, you know Toyota is very much a, a culture of looking at processes and systems and not blaming workers for systemic problems. So they have something called an andon cord. And the expectation in the culture is, you know if you see a problem, if you suspect there's a defect, if you've messed up, quote unquote, you reach up and pull the andon cord and within seconds, somebody is there to respond, to help, to help you know help deal with the situation. Put the proverbial fire out, and if if the problem uh, is coming back at some point, you stop and do root cause analysis. Well, if you put something like that into, you know, there was a story in the BBC maybe about a decade ago of a, a Ford plan. and you know in the late two thousands, Ford should have understood enough uh, about Toyota to know better. But there was a story about how they installed the Andon cord mechanics. And the, the, the cord and the lights and the chimes. And at that plant, you know, it was something like uh, the, you know, the cord was only being pulled once a day or a few times a week. And I suspect there might've been some engineer or maintenance person who had to test the system to make sure it was working. <laughs> but, you know, in that Ford climate, it's one where it, or it sounded like what I dealt with under the first plant manager at General Motors. Um, no one's going to pull the end on court if they expect to be blamed or punished for the problem or they they especially if they're going to be blamed for stopping the line instead of putting quality first so i mean that's that's one example um you know Toyota always emphasizes not just continuous improvement but respect for people and far too many of these lean tools can end up being really awful if they are being implemented without the context of uh, a respectful work environment as, as fundamental as that sounds. Uh,
1: so, I, so I have one more question for you. Uh, and then mm-hmm. I want to get into the good things you're seeing. Uh, mm-hmm. And I preface the question with that because this, uh, this question might sound negative. Um, but I do want to make sure we're getting to like the more yeah. positive. Oh, the I, I, I
2: don't, I don't mind being negative. So you can see. <laughs> <I'm a good
1: laughs> yeah. Okay. So along those lines you've mentioned some things around focusing on cost and you know kind of um uh, sometimes it's around uh if people can solve problems and respect for people I, I think a, a pattern um that we've seen and I'm extrapolating a little bit here but uh in the in the software space um an organization or a group may have quality challenges um, and then what will happen, what's interesting is uh, they, well, there could be quality and delivery from certain kinds of challenges. Instead of uh, kind of respecting the people and then saying, um, you know, how do we make this better, they, they take this opposite approach. And maybe it's still respect, but they'll say their time is too valuable. So this problem that becomes systemic, we're going to give it to another group to solve this systemic problem. Usually it's in the quality space or something else. And so you'll see this big kind of separation where – there's this one group, and they just build, and the other group just has to worry about quality. It's like quality as an afterthought, and then another group has to run it, um, and I, I want to give them the idea of best intent, the idea being that certain people have certain skills and we have to value their time, but it seems like, it, it, to your earlier point, this, this separation, this focus on cost just ends up you know, making the quality problems much worse. Do you see similar kinds of things like that happening in, in your experiences?
2: Yeah and you know I don't I've never you know I, I don't know the details of, of managing software development but I could think of situations um, w- whether it's manufacturing or healthcare you know, you've got somebody whose time is valuable well yeah. how much of that time is being wasted because their work uh, is more difficult than it should be Right. And so if their work is more difficult than it should be and there are opportunities for improvement, usually, um, you know, especially when it comes to improving uh, work methods, it's, it's the people at the front lines. It's uh, the people doing the work and their supervisor and maybe a support engineer, you know, who's part of that team. And they would work together um, to help improve things. Um, you know, I think part of the Toyota philosophy would say, well, that person's it's not just, well, see, hmm, that person's time is valuable. That doesn't sound as respectful as it could be, right? right, right. I value that person's development and fulfillment and contribution to the long term success of the organization. So their time's t- too valuable for me to not invest right. in their quality improvement work, their problem solving skills. You know, this goes, in, goes hand in hand. Solving problems is a people development activity and and if we're only letting a handful of people do the improvement work, we're not really developing everyone to their full potential
1: and then, and then it usually comes at the cost of the organization as a whole right
2: it does um so you know th- there's there's an old um you know uh, uh, I'm gonna have to very vaguely paraphrase it because I can't remember uh right right at the moment but you know uh he would joke about, you know, these, you know, for-profit companies, you know, putting profit first. And you would say things like, well, I see very little evidence of that because right. they're so <laughs> broken and dysfunctional and setting dumpsters full of money on fire every day. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's, it, 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 you know, it, there's this catch 22, you know, organizations that seem the most quote unquote cost conscious or those that are cut, you know, the most actively focused on cutting costs, often end up doing things that end up increasing costs to the overall organization because they're doing local sub-optimizing cuts, or um, they're they're making short-term cuts that end up uh, costing the company in the long term. So, you know, Deming taught Toyota, and Toyota seemed to get it that long-term uh, focus really matters. So, if if anyone's read or goes and reads the book, The Toyota Way by Jeff Liker. the 14 points in the Toyota Way start with point number one, quite literally says, make decisions based on the long-term, even at the expense of the short-term. And for all the people who say, well, we want to copy Toyota. I've never once had anyone email me, call, not that they were going to hire me as a a long-term focus you know, a consultant to teach long term focus, but nobody asked about that. Like, no one, if, if people aren't trying to copy point number one, it, it does beg the question what's the point of copying and trying to copy anything else?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting one. We, we often get the question what are the right metrics or what metrics we should start with? And mm-hmm. it's, it's oftentimes in the absence of any desired outcome. Right. We yeah. there's an implied outcome. There's some kind of transformation effort underway, whether it's implementing DevOps, getting better at agile, uh, getting better at, at sort of product thinking and designing products that are a good fit for the marketplace. But we still often get this question that's that's completely devoid of what is the outcome you're trying mm-hmm. to drive? The the other thing to your your point, Mark, is um I'm a fan of the work of Don Reinertsen, and he talks a lot about uh, building an economic framework for digital product delivery that um, takes into account total life cycle profits, whether you're making decisions about uh, what work gets prioritized and what work gets done next, how many things you do in parallel, et cetera, et cetera. That, to me, is kind of a long-term view, right? What is the, mm-hmm. the impact on the lifecycle profits for this product? But whenever we try and steer people that way, it it seems like we get, oh, that's really hard. Um, Uh We'll try to get to that later. What are some things we could implement right now? And they end up being like the simple counting metrics, you know, number of teams doing X. Um, How do you, I guess there's a few questions in here, but how do you handle the situation where you get that question? You know, what are the right metrics? outside of any context Mm -hmm. of outcome and kind of, how do you help people get started with some simple metrics, but Mm -hmm. not just proxy metrics that really could be dangerous? Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, another thing that's dangerous, and I say this as a consultant is relying too much on your consultant to tell you what to do. Right. So what, what (laughs) here's the annoying game or, you know, scenario of, of you asking me what metrics, what, what should we measure? And me, trying to not just be a parrot but asking well what do you think you should measure right <laughs> and can you try measuring that and you know um iterate and that's one thing i think is generally really strong in the agile and lean startup communities is the idea of iteration and experiments do we ever know what the right things are to measure are of course not we could we could start with a few measures and then see how life uh proceeds but um, you know, there's, there's this trap um, of, of, of wanting the answer instead of figuring it out yourself. Um, you know, John Shook at the Lean Enterprise Institute, who's uh, one of the first, well, he was the first American hired by Toyota. Um, John Shook says it real well, you know, when you, when you give somebody an answer or you give someone a solution, you rob them of the opportunity uh, to learn and uh, you know they're, they're, it's tough, right? Well, like, well there, there's a balance there of when do you have to let someone make their own mistake versus okay, wait, wait, no, you're about to walk off the edge of the building. Let's not learn from that mistake. Let me let me stop you, and I'm going to tell you to stop because let me explain gravity to you, <laughs> right? If need be, uh, we don't need to experiment with gravity. Gravity is known. Uh, the effect. Uh, on the body would be easily predictable, but um, when when do we give someone an answer versus asking them to figure it out? Um, it's easier said than done. It's it's easier for someone to take an answer because then if the answer is wrong, it's not their fault. Um, but you know, um, there's like you know, question of um, you know what are we trying to accomplish, and then. So implementing DevOps, to me, would not be a very inspirational goal. What are we trying to do? We're trying to build a company. We're trying to make the world a better place. Um, We're trying to solve an important problem. Um, If DevOps is a means to that end, okay, great. But um, I think organizations, if all they're counting is the number of Kaizen events that they do in a year, or the number of black belt projects that they do, or or even worse, we're going to just count the number of black belts we trained. Um, you know, we certified them and they're not doing any projects, which isn't really contributing anything to the organization. Um, it's tough, so we have to start with you know what's the goal, what's the purpose. There's three questions that come from Deming: um, What are we trying to accomplish, and you know how, by what method. And then how will we know if we're accomplishing that, right? So there there was one hospital I worked with. The CEO had a noble goal of, you know, we're going to be the safest hospital in the state by 2020. Okay, great goal. That's a rallying cry that people can get excited about more than cutting costs. Now, how are you going to do it? By what method? And how will you know if you're the safest? So you could pick any number of things to measure, um, and, and hopefully, those things that we've chosen to measure are not just easy to measure, but
0: they're meaningful toward that ultimate goal, right? Right. And by the way, as you were talking about uh, that decision on sort of robbing someone from a learning opportunity versus deciding to teach them. Mm -hmm. Um, that's probably one of the core skills that coaches in the dojos Mm -hmm. that Joel and Mm -hmm. I work in need to have, right. Because it, it's all about learning. So yeah, that's, that's a tough one. It's a judgment call, but, uh, definitely a skill. Do you have anything more to say about kind of developing that skill for coaches who might be listening? Um, I mean, I think it's the same thing of
2: just, you know, kind of learning through experience and, um, there are times when you have to course correct. Like I've I've worked with some consultants who um, are really good about modeling behavior of leading by asking open ended questions, but there will be moments where that annoys the hell out of people, and so you know you you may need to stop and adjust uh, a, a little bit. You know you may err on the side of of trying to um, delegate and empower, and you might. Have erred on the side of giving people too much space, and then they're 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 struggling and they're becoming demoralized. Um, So you know, I I think life is a series of plan, do, study, adjust cycles. And you know, I think you know you 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 go try things with um, that are based in a a reasonable hypothesis, and go and, and and do that, and study and adjust accordingly. That that model. That, that comes from uh, Shuhart and Deming and Toyota, um, I, I think is a really helpful way of thinking about
0: things. Yeah, excellent.
1: But let me give you a, a scenario, Mark, just uh, out of curiosity. Uh, my, I, I think I know where you're going to go with this, uh, but I'm just kind of curious. A lot of organizations, so I'm going to preface the question with, with this. The, a lot of organizations tend to think about Uh, metrics measurements it's kind of very data oriented very binary you know like you know x went up by 20 percent. you know things that are very obvious and concrete um i I was working with a group and we were talking about you know why are we doing what we're doing we're gonna you know why are we going to help these these groups how do we what's the purpose what are we trying to achieve out of this um and the the the, the woman that i was talking with you know the, the senior leadership she was a very nice statement she goes well success for me looks like um uh, my my uh my my teammates my workers my employees um they're not as overworked they 're not as they're not as burdened they're, they're not as right. uh, and I thought that was a nice right. statement yeah but then the, the, of course the next collateral question is you know how would we know and it, it's a weird thing because you can't just say well we'll take a survey um so let me ask you that it, it, have you ever come across that scenario where it's it's a it's a non data point uh, and that people say this is this is where we well, need to get to i mean
2: yeah, I mean, I'm 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 name dropping and quoting people heavily tonight, but um, Deming often gets misquoted. Um, you know, there 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 are expressions out there that says, "Well, if you can't measure it, you can't yeah. manage it." Yep. And 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 Deming said quite the opposite. He said right. sometimes the most important things are unmeasurable, but yet we have to try to manage them anyway, right? So employee morale, uh, we could be data driven we could do so kind of stupidly and overreact to a single data point you know the uh oh engagement score is down 10% this year let's fire all the managers because clearly they're bad like well maybe maybe engagement scores had gone up 8% the year before maybe the numbers just fluctuating and like you said it's not so easy as um you know one number is higher than the other so clearly something has changed um so I, I think, you know, there's big opportunities and this is where I've tried to help people um, through through my new book, Measures of Success, of trying to help people understand when a change in a metric is worth explaining or reacting to, right? So you're something I blogged about um, today, um, uh, college basketball, NCAA Final Four ratings. And we see this with the Oscars and the Super Bowl and and all sorts of things, you know, the news media says, well, this year's number is lower than last year's number. Is this the death of blank or, yeah. you know, they just overreact. Um, so like this year, the the the, the, the semifinal game metrics uh, were up 13 percent versus last year. And you might think, oh, this is a huge Uptick in uh, popularity for college basketball, and look at how those trends are going. And they have to pay the players now, right? No, sorry, that was a that was a non sequitur. But um, talk about respect for people—that's a different podcast. But you know, the, <laughs> the number you know was up 13 percent from last year. So part of the context is that the games this year were on CBS instead of the cable channel TBS. So, of course, the numbers are going to be lower on a network that's available uh, in fewer homes. So, you know, last, uh, this year, the number was up 13%. Last year, the number uh, was down by roughly the same amount. And in even the years, the, you know, 25 consecutive years it was on CBS, you know, there's a period from about 2000 on where the numbers up, the numbers down, not alternating every single year but the number just fluctuating within a range and and we can learn you know through some simple math to not just use um, the chart or the tool, but there's some mindsets about understanding um, what could be called uh, you know routine variation in a system or typical variation um, so we can stop overreacting to every up and down that 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 overreaction um, ends up wasting, a huge amount of time. And, and so the final thing I want to come back to from uh, your question, Dion, was uh, you, you used the, the word overburden. Um, so in, in lean manufacturing, you know Toyota talks about uh, the three M's, Muda, Mora, and Mori. They're three Japanese words so that start with M. Uh, waste. And a lot of people say, oh, lean is all about eliminating waste. I'm like, ah, don't forget those other two. <laughs> right so if the work is uneven right that's going to lead to at the least short-term overburden. I've seen in environments in healthcare there is chronic systemic overburden that exists almost nearly every hour in the day. And I think organizations if they really understand lean, they're they're working to reduce overburden. So you know back to your question sometimes you just see it on people's faces. you don't need to wait for a, a survey score.
1: Nice, dude. I mean, like that's, that's that's what's interesting too. Is for some of these things, people will say like people are overburdened. But then you ask the question like, well, how you know how often are you seeing this? Well, I'm just hearing it. Well, how about you yeah. go talk to people? Like, let's, right. let's you know, how, let's, let's 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 be more yeah. engaged. Um,
2: well, that, there, there's there's a, a Toyota problem solving model, um, sometimes called Toyota business practices, and you know the former Toyota people I've worked with in recent years. Talk about the difference between a big, vague concern and a well-defined problem statement. So the the reports that, well, I'm just hearing, they would call that a big, vague concern. Then you need to go and observe the work and talk to the people and look at the real reality. Um, and, and sometimes a big, vague concern it was a one-off occurrence. It's not really an ongoing problem, and, and sometimes it is. So we'll go and confirm that or disprove it.
1: So coming back to somebody you said a second ago uh, about your your book, Measures of Success, uh, a great book, highly recommended. Uh, anybody who hasn't picked up a copy yet should definitely get a copy. Uh, why don't you give everybody just a quick overview uh, of the of the of the purpose of the book and how it helps people?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think the purpose of the book is to um, help create better workplaces and and more successful organizations. Uh, I feel very fortunate that. Very early in my career, I was exposed to the work of W. Edwards Deming, Donald J. Wheeler, who uh, is still working and active today. He was uh, a student or you know contemporary of Doctor Deming's when um, Wheeler was younger. Uh, he's a PhD statistician, and you know there there there's this this context that a lot of people just don't get when they're introduced to Lean. They're they're not taught the, the Deming, uh, mindset and methodologies and Toyota people would say, you know, uh, the Deming was incredibly influential on, on Toyota. So it's hard to really understand lean without, um, trying to understand, um, Deming. So I've, I've felt fortunate to have these, these, uh, things I've been taught where I feel like this is kind of the hidden secret that, you know, it's not complicated and you can't blame people for what they haven't been taught, but, you know, like here's some really helpful stuff I'd like to try to share with the world. Um, you know the subtitle of the book tries to summarize it in the, the the book in six words uh, react less, lead better, improve more and, and and there's kind of a sequential flow there. Reacting less is a form of leading better um, but when we you know kind of use math, to help us understand like when we should react, like right now, root cause analysis, something has changed mode versus stepping back and identifying, um, you know, gaps in performance, not a single data point, but um, you know, longer trends in performance, and, and step back and do less reactive, more systematic problem solving. Um, th- those are some of the dots that I'm trying to help uh connect for people in the book, and I guess that's an unintended joke. I'm looking uh, at a chart. Um, a method I teach in the book called the process behavior chart. It is literally a bunch of dots that are connected with lines.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, so is your, is it fair to say your intended audience with the book is, uh, is people in the leadership role looking to, Mm -hmm. looking to figure out how to do those things, how to react less and and lead better?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think leaders at all levels, uh, I mean, things like this are really important. I think for executives to understand because their habits and behaviors roll downhill in the organization. Um it's a book um you know my, my first books that I wrote uh Lean Hospitals and Healthcare Kaizen you can tell by the titles they were intended you know for a healthcare audience um Measures of Success uh is is a book where I try to uh, in different ways connect the different experiences I've had in manufacturing, healthcare and and software companies to use some scenarios and examples from all of those settings um that, that hopefully help people understand that um, some of these practices are um, pre- pretty universally helpful. Anywhere that we have uh, systems and processes that, um, of, 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 you know, systems of work that lead to results, things that we measure and track, um, you know, th- these are methods that that could help people, I think, in most any organization.
1: So, so I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, okay. So, so you mentioned some some Kaizen events uh, from your as a topic of some of your earlier uh, books. Um, so I, uh, you've done some some great stuff uh, with some hospitals uh, as well as some other industries looking to to continuously improve. Uh, what's what's your favorite example? Your favorite story of of a group that was looking for some of this uh, continuous improvement, continuous mm-hmm. learning type stuff and the measures that they used in that example and maybe some of the mm-hmm. stories along the way.
2: Yeah. Well, so, you know, we talk about Kaizen and and just kind of level set um, everyone listening. Uh, kaizen is another Japanese word. It basically just means good change or the context usually means uh, continuous improvement. So um, there are different levels of Kaizen. You know, there are um, the small, all the little small improvements, Um I, you, you might call that daily kaizen. Sometimes people say, "Oh, those are those are just do-its." Uh, I would propose they're they're just PDSA its instead of just do-its. But and then you've got, you know, slightly larger problems that are sometimes addressed with a 2 to 5 day kaizen event. And then sometimes there are bigger, uh, even more uh, systematic uh, systemic systematic uh, projects. So I think of uh, one project I was working on is a children's hospital, and the waiting time. You talk about purpose, mission, um, values, and you know the waiting times uh, for a child to get in for an outpatient MRI with sedation, and and most kids need to be uh, sedated so they can be calm and still for the MRI. The waiting time was twelve to fourteen weeks. And that's not just delays in care, that's also sometimes a delay in peace of mind, where an MRI might rule out the worst case that the parents uh, are scared about and it's keeping them up at night. And so the organization realized that those waiting times um, are, are not right. They were not competitive with the children's hospital 45 minutes away were the waiting times were more like three to four, three to six weeks, maybe if I'm re- remembering right. But so it was you know, twice as long and they were losing referrals to that other hospital. But I'll give the executives who were overseeing this project a lot of credit. They never once talked about revenue or cost or the bottom line. The reality was doing the types of things the staff would have to do to reduce waiting times and improve safety and quality we're going to end up increasing throughput, which meant they could do more MRIs per day. Um, you know, so there there was this question of motivation. And it wasn't manipulative or underhanded, but getting people to focus on what matters to them led to uh, solutions and improvements that were win 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 for the uh, the patients and the staff in the organization. Um, so in you know in that MRI project, I was playing the role. Uh, of coach and, and, and project leader. Um, the, the methodology that we used um, with the, the consulting group I worked for was uh, very much one of not coming in and being the expert and telling people how to fix their process. It was about getting a, a cross-functional team um, from the, the radiology department, um, including, you know, a nurse and somebody from the registration scheduling area um, and help them Study and understand their current state so that they could better understand the problem and and propose and test improvements, both large and small, that were going to um, prevent delays, prevent interruptions in the flow. Um, That, that, you know, it, it wasn't just the process of delivering care that improved, it was the scheduling process and communication processes and getting those waiting times down, getting throughput up. We measured. Um, all of those things we we drew um, what you could call control charts or process behavior charts to make sure you know we weren't uh, declaring victory too soon. I'm like oh look, uh, MRI utilization is up ten percent and waiting time is down two weeks. All right, good yeah. job, everybody. I assume <laughs> these trends will continue um they've they they learned about measures and um, the last I visited this organization was uh, maybe a year ago, so it was probably going on ten years. And and they said they've been able to maintain, they got the waiting times down to about two to three weeks. So instead of being slower than the competitor, it was faster for the competitor. They've sustained that improvement. Because one of the things they learned was, you know, before they weren't really tracking the metrics. And sort of like if you don't weigh yourself reasonably often, your weight could get out of control. And you're like, how did I not see that happen? Um, they've they've learned to measure the waiting times, and if things start creeping up, uh, they have some things they can do to help adjust and uh, make sure those waiting times don't ever grow out of control again. So I think you know the story is, is this combination of a very strong sense of mission, um, goals that matter, measures that matter, and engagement. Um, engaging people who do the work in um, redesigning or or sometimes uh, it's really that this is the first time the work's been designed. uh, If the organization gives them the opportunity to do that, that leads to huge performance improvements. Um, So, so back, you know, kind of wrap it up, think about the different types of Kaizen part. One of the other judgment calls we have to make is, is Improvement leaders or managers or consultants is when do you tweak the existing process and make it incrementally better? And when when do you kind of blow it up and start from a blank sheet of paper? Um, Sometimes you don't have the luxury of doing that, but sometimes you do need to um, really just kind of uh, start with a clean sheet of paper and design something that actually has a reasonable hypothesis of working.
1: That's a, that's a great story, Mark. I see, and I'm sure DN feels it too, like a lot, of, a lot of parallels between what you just gave us there and the, the things we kind of uh, uh, are, are trying to do with a, a bunch of groups. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things some people will bring us in and they'll tell us, you know, um, set this thing up and give us the playbook and then just, you know, rinse, wash, repeat, and everything has to happen. And what we tell our groups is we can help you, get these environments where these, these teams are learning things together. But like, what happens is when we're, when we're with teams and and learning and then, you know, teaching them, but we're also trying to get them to reflect on, uh, we're we're trying to get them to reflect on what's actually happening in their work. What we find with a lot of teams is that they just get used to the problems. And so they don't think about ever making them better. And so it sometimes it is having, uh, you know, sitting with the groups and saying, does this feel right to you all? And they'll say, no, it doesn't, mm-hmm. but it's always like this. And say, well, hold on. Let's just take a second here and say, is there something we can do about it? Because if there is, let's take time now. And you know, if you don't know how to do it, we'll help you do it. But to your point, it's it's we can't come in with all of the answers. And then also the thing we learn is by being with these teams, we also start to see all the things that are happening across, all, across the whole organization mm-hmm. that's become mm-hmm. systemic. Um, and so, again, we can't just come in and say, Organization, these are your four problems. Let's go fix them. We 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 help these teams, and then they learn to they 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 learn to become aware. We talk about becoming a like yeah. about becoming a mirror for the team. Like let them reflect and actually see what's happening, and then see if they want to make it better, as well as mm-hmm. reflection for the organization. I think that's that's the power of these events. It's there isn't an answer, right? It's just it's just the time and, and the and, and the the ability to pause at times and say, you know, can we do better?
2: Yeah. Well, and can we do better? Um, sometimes leads to self defeating mindsets where, you know, especially if you look at some of the really serious, undeniable problems in healthcare, I think sometimes uh, people maybe get used to the problem or they start rationalizing that, yeah, it sucks that people get infections when they're here in the hospital, but that problem has been around forever. It's It just happens or they make excuses or they rationalize, not because they're, they're bad people, but, you know, maybe in the past there, there's been goals, but going back to the Deming questions, there's been no method for, um, achieving the goal. And so people and leaders get discouraged and say, well, it's just better not to talk about that. Um, you know, maybe, you know, it's a coping mechanism. It's not that they're bad or that they don't want to improve if, if people think it's not possible, um, they they won't they probably won't try. So that's one way uh, it may be helpful to be inspired by other organizations. Um well, look what they accomplished. They got the waiting times down from 14, 12 to 14 weeks to 2 to 3 weeks. What what what, what how could we accomplish that? Like and show people uh, what's possible. Um, may may not lead to just copying, but um, it's the inspiration yeah, anyway yeah hopefully it's inspiration yeah
1: it's it it's funny that you mentioned the uh the infection uh, uh maybe dn would want to chime in with the uh his appendix from last year that's uh... a.
0: <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll 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 save that for another day i
1: think
2: oh, okay we'll talk about that next uh when we get together next <laughs> yeah
0: not, not a good experience for what should have been a routine you appendectomy know.
2: And a lot of times, people don't realize that uh, you know whatever happened to you—it's not just a rare one-off thing. It might be happening all the time, and so you have the general public, the patient population, who often doesn't know. How widespread some of these problems are related to healthcare quality and patient safety. And then you have people on the hospital side who know, but we'd rather not know and we'd rather not try to measure it accurately. Um, we're going to, you know, and, and then when people do estimates saying, well, we think between 200,000 and 400,000 Americans die every year due to preventable medical error. Um, the healthcare community says, oh, those numbers are just estimates. Like, but you guys aren't actually collecting the real damn data. <laughs> Don't try to have it both ways. Healthcare, I right. get really, I get frustrated. So um, th- these are problems that that we need to be working
1: on. Well, let me ask you this, Mark. Uh, some people sometimes think, uh, oh, maybe they don't think this, but uh, the, the consultants uh, have never made mistakes. <laughs> that's probably not true. Mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody thinks consultants make mistakes all the time. But give give us an example of one one year of your mistakes uh, and what you learned from it and, and how it helped you go forward.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, th- this was uh, something I wrote about in uh, the book Practicing Lean. That's a, that's a book I uh, spearheaded and and edited as 14 other. 15 other contributors to it. Um, Well, yeah, early in my career, I was the engineer whose job it was to come up with answers and solutions and then push them at people. Um, You know, some of that was a a function of organizations that I worked in that weren't uh, the culture of of really respecting and engaging the frontline workers. Um, So, you know, there were times where, like my last manufacturing job at Honeywell um, as part of what was essentially my lean black belt certification, I had to go do a project. And um, they, you know, we, we had a department that was making parts for assembly. And we were often running out of inventory. We had too much of the wrong thing. and So I went together and put together uh, what, what you might call a production Kanban system. Um, with you know scientifically calculated inventory levels and did, trying to do some things to reduce batch sizes and using visual managements on racks and Kanban cards. Um, so the guy running this one press would obviously clearly know how to do his job better. <laughs> You're laughing and you should be laughing like <laughs> that didn't work. Um, and so as I've gotten further in my career, I've, I've realized that like, when, when you're pushing solutions on others, you might get short term compliance. But that's probably not sustainable. And, and I don't think anyone claims compliance is a path to greatness for an organization. Right. We need people who are engaged in questioning things and pointing out problems and and being willing to test solutions. And, you know, again, like a lot of that comes back to, uh, as you might say, uh, the culture thing.
1: It's it's, it's it's an interesting thing. I remember one of my biggest things was uh, I was an architect in, in Chicago and uh, I was in this um I'm not sure if you've seen these. Have you ever seen centers of excellence or communities of practice, or mostly centers of excellence? Have you, have you come across as much? I, I I I hear the term sometimes. Yeah. So, <laughs> it, it, when I was in this one, it was uh, you know a group of they say there's you know 700 or a thousand engineers, and they would choose four or five engineers to be in this center of excellence and they would do all of like the big thinking and they would tell Mm -hmm. everybody else kind of how they should do their work. And I remember I was like really excited to be in this, uh, in this little group because we got to do the fun stuff, look at the new things. And then we Mm -hmm. would get to tell groups now, now this is what you should do (laughs) for your work. And I remember after a couple of weeks, like, why is nobody doing what we suggest? And it was just because it was random things that we'd come by and tell people that they, sh- hey, you should probably do this. And it had yeah. no context and it had no purpose. And it was just you know, you start to realize these things, right? That you mm-hmm. you it's it's that you can't impose things on people.
2: Yeah, um, there, there's another Toyotaism. I'll come back to those again, I guess. But um, uh, Gary Convis, who is an American who came out of Ford and General Motors, who became an executive at Toyota, said that he was taught lead as if you have no authority. Now, that's different than abdicating your authority. But I think it's sort of like the idea, I think there's a parallel uh, in the old, uh, you know, e- I think, you know, the EQ discussions about, um, you know, emotional bank withdrawals and deposits so you can only make so many withdrawals before you damage uh, a relationship. And I think the same can be true with authority. Like there, there's a time and a place to say, we need to do it this way because I'm the boss, but that should really be an exception. You know, um, because I think once you start dipping into that, A, people might stop listening or B, they'll do nothing but listen to you. You'll have this culture of of compliance and you know General Motors was very focused on uh, a culture of compliance um, and that that was leading to really terrible results. So again, we got a new plant manager uh, who set a different tone, uh, who had you know the, this opportunity to change his leadership style uh, after um, you know time spent working at at Toyota, being mentored uh, by by
1: Toyota people. It makes a huge difference. All great stuff, Mark. Uh, so I, I know we're we're getting near uh, our time here together. Uh, Deon, did you have a, any closing questions or anything you wanted to throw at Mark?
0: Uh, perhaps two. The first would be, uh, would you be willing to come on again? I feel like this is a topic yeah. that our guests, great. Uh, our, our guests definitely want to dig into. Um, perhaps after some time goes by, they've had a chance to read your latest book um and, and <laughs> sure. joel and i are continuing to work on this question with dojos how do we yeah. how do we measure dojos how do we prove they're having an impact how are we how are we proving that they're leading to the outcomes we want at any rate yeah. mm-hmm. um so great we'll have you back on again at some point in the future yeah. for now uh how can people uh reach you how can people learn more about the work that you're doing
2: yeah, well thanks. Um, general website, I've got I, maybe too many different websites. Uh Markgraben.com. Uh my blog is leanblog.org, uh the dot com um, forwards to lean dog, leanblog.org. Uh, I misspoke. Lean Dog is a different website. I don't have any dogs. So I don't know what a Lean Dog. <laughs> that know, dog is re- that dog know. is really lean. That's a real <laughs> lean dog. Um, so uh, my latest book, people can find it at measuresofsuccessbook.com. dot um, Yeah, I mean those would be the starting points. I'm on Twitter at Mark Graven. Um, Mark Graven's a unique enough name. If you Google Mark Graven Lean, um,
0: easy enough. To find, yeah. Excellent. Okay, we'll include uh, all that information in the show notes as well. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Mark. Thanks so much for coming on and doing this. Thanks, Dion. Thanks, Joel. Right. All right. Talk to you soon. Well, as always, it's interesting whenever we talk to Mark.
1: Yeah, that was a really great discussion. Um, as everybody's probably aware, many organizations are are trying to figure out how to how to get interesting and meaningful measurements. Uh, and so Mark gave us some really nice nice thoughts on this. Um, most importantly, we always want to make sure we're measuring things that matter and not overreacting to noise. And I think Mark's message is really nice in that space.
0: Yeah, I agree. I don't think we're quite done with this topic yet, Joel. I think metrics is something we're going to be exploring and working with for a while.
1: Most definitely. The journey never ends.
0: <laughs> right. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening.
1: Take care.